Welcome to Software Security Chat Chat, episode 134, for the 11th of February, 2014. I'm Chester Wisniewski, and I'm here with my long-term colleague, Paul Ducklin. Welcome back, Paul. Hello, Chester. So we had some pretty exciting news this week. Uh, we've joined forces with uh, a, a new company that we've acquired called CyberRome that's going to be uh, joining us to strengthen us both uh, intellectually and in the product line. So what are your thoughts, Paul? The main thing I can think to say is hello and welcome to all CyberRomers, whether you're a customer, a partner, reseller, or one of our new colleagues. There's something more than just a business angle. There's the idea that now we've got this whole raft of new colleagues who will join us in the fight against cybercrime. It's always nice to have new people to bounce ideas off. That's how we met, isn't it, when Sophos acquired Active State all those years ago. That's how we became colleagues. It was certainly an exciting opportunity for me to learn about a whole load of new stuff to do with network security. So I'm looking forward to being able to do that all over again. Yeah, that, that, that's my takeaway as well. I mean, uh, we've, you know, we've bought some interesting products over the years, but more than that, we've uh, acquired people who have let us build more amazing things than we could have ever done without their help. And that's really the, the, the true power of an acquisition. But for folks that, that want more information, of course, they can go and read your article on Naked Security. And I think there's some links to some thoughts from our, our CEO, Chris Hagerman. Yes, and a, uh, a very easily digestible and very upbeat video from Chris. So uh, do go and have a look at that. My thoughts on the issue is that when it comes to security and taking the fight back to the bad guys, you never really have to worry about too many cooks spoil the broth. Uh, it's always a case of many hands make light work. Moving forward along those lines, there's uh, always work to be done. And today is Patch Tuesday, uh, the second Tuesday of the month. And Microsoft has uh, seven fixes available for us. But there was kind of a little bit of a, a last minute surprise in this month's patches. Uh, there certainly was. Can you maybe give us the highlights? Yes, I wrote up an article. Here are the five patches that you can expect to apply this month. It all seems pretty light. And guess what? There are no critical fixes for XP. What happened? No sooner had the words come out of my mouth than Microsoft added two more bulletins to the five. And the two they added in, perhaps they didn't know whether they were going to make the cut or not until the last minute. Both of them affect XP users as well as users of all other versions of Windows, right up to 8.1 and server 2012 and the server core installs. So seven patches, not five. If you read the Naked Security article when it first came out, we had to add two more in. And our early thoughts that ho, 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 Windows XP users get off light this month is false. If you have XP, you will be patching and rebooting along with everybody else. Well, I, I usually consider it good news when these last-minute things make it in because for Microsoft to prioritize something usually implies it is really important. And uh, when we're talking about browser vulnerabilities in particular, which is, you know, in my experience, um, most users uh, that are getting compromised are through browser vulnerabilities or browser plugin vulnerabilities. So I guess it's a good thing to have this in February rather than March uh, if, it's, if it's something that's being potentially actively utilized by criminals. Uh, Adobe had to do that in the last week. There was an update to Adobe Flash Player for CVE 2014-0497, which was a, an actively exploited flaw that was being used in the in the wild by bad guys. So Adobe had to kind of jump to the rescue and get a, a unplanned patch out 
just a little less than a week ago, the only concern I had with it was uh, it reminded me once again when loading these things that somehow Adobe feels the need to not just provide me with a patch, but to provide me with additional unwanted software. I just so wish that they would not do that. It just sets a terribly bad standard that everybody else, including the crooks, can follow, saying, hey, we're going to give you X to install, and by the way, here's an optional feature Y. By optional, they mean you will get it unless you optionally choose not to. To my mind, an optional extra is something that you don't get unless you actively choose to take it. You opt into it, you don't opt out. Yeah, I mean, Oracle does a similar thing with their Java downloader, which installs the Ask toolbar. Well, at least it does this month. It seems to be a, a rotation of different things that it attempts to install alongside of Java. And what really bothers me, though, is that it makes us accustomed to something that we know criminals use to infect people's computers. You know, it, it makes it that that checkbox is normal rather than the exception. And if it were only the criminals, if they were the only ones doing that, then when we saw that, we would know that uh, we're smelling a skunk. Well, for people that don't want to get all that extra stuff, if you do a search for Enterprise Flash Download, they do offer up a version for corporations to distribute Flash that does not include any of the additional bundled software. So if you Google that, it will take you to a link on Adobe's site that will allow you to download Flash Player without all the extra bundled uh, stuff. Indeed, I always use that download. It means that if you need to reinstall Flash, for example, for security reasons, you can do it while you're not connected to the internet. It means that you don't have to go online to get a security fix that makes it safe for you to go online. Moving on to the, the hack stories for the week, uh, which there always seems to be some, unfortunately. Uh, one of the major American ISPs, uh, Comcast, who also owns NBC Television and a lot of other uh, well-known global assets, had some internal email servers hacked. Uh, rather than, I mean, I don't want to get into a lot of the specifics of the hack aside from the lesson, which to me is about patching in a timely way, especially when something has a critical patch available. In this case, Comcast servers uh, have a mail server called Zimbra, and uh, there was a critical patch for Zimbra released in December of 2013. Comcast did not apply those fixes, and so criminals kind of had a blueprint for exactly how to crack them open and they stole a lot of uh, username and, and salted password data and posted it to Pastebin. So they had six weeks during which they could have applied the patch. Probably a little remiss for their change control committee to dither for so long. You know, you could almost argue that an outage of an internal mail system is better than somebody being able to scoop up passwords and then go in and read your employee's mail. Which, as you and I were discussing earlier, when you're an ISP and someone's able to read the mail of your employees, it's very likely that those emails will include information that actually gives away secrets about customers as well. So it's actually a double danger, really, in uh, not applying those patches promptly. Yeah, and in this case, they also you know, were able to get a lot of information from within some SQL databases, which uh, appeared to potentially provide access to other Comcast systems. So even systems that were patched correctly uh, and may be better maintained than the systems that were attacked are now potentially at risk simply because, you know, once the bad guys crack open the, the outside shell and can get inside the network, sometimes they can traverse into other things that uh, are unexpected. And that's exactly what happened in Target, isn't it? The first news we had, gosh, 40 million people had their payment cards breached. 
I wonder what else the guys got at while they were wandering around in our network. Oh dear, 70 million other records with other PII in. What was a huge breach became an enormous one because of this lateral movement by the crooks. Now, Chester, do I understand correctly that in the Comcast case, the mail server they were using actually stores hashed passwords using a single or a small number of iterations of MD5 with assault, meaning that if you do steal that data, it's comparatively easy to mount a dictionary attack against it. That is my understanding, and I guess to put that in context, uh, we've got varying degrees of password storage. They're, they're ahead of plain text or simply uh, hashing without assault, which would be the worst two. In this case, they were salted, but it is my understanding they were not using, I guess, what we would consider to be the best practice of how to do passwords with uh, multiple iterations and perhaps a stronger hashing algorithm than MD5. You're a bit stuck, aren't you, if you're using a mainstream application that implements passwords this way and you think, well, it's kind of just about good enough. But how do I go back to the vendor, particularly if it's an open source app, and say, look, guys, you've got to fix this? Which I think is a long-winded way of me saying, read the article that we published on Naked Security entitled Serious Security, How to Store Your Users' Passwords Safely. The, the other, uh, I guess I'll call it an attempted hacking story this week, was the Syrian Electronic Army uh, attempted to take down another major media brand, in this case Facebook, by uh, commandeering their DNS settings. And, 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 well, in this case it was who is records. It appears they were kind of like step one in a five-part process of taking over, right? And, and this was kind of interesting to me as almost a bit of a blueprint of how these guys had been working to take down some of these media companies by manipulating things like who is records, then they're, they're now the contact for any changes that might be made to DNS. And then you can go to the DNS registrar and say, hey, I'm the administrative contact and I'd like to change my DNS server to a different machine. Of course, one controlled by the hacker rather than one controlled by the company. And then, you know, once you've got access to, to manipulating those DNS records, you can take over their website or you could redirect their email to further compromise the organization through password resets and stuff. So I, while I'm glad it was, it was unsuccessful, it was interesting to me, at least, to, to kind of prove this is one of the methods that they're using to break into organizations. Yes, it's not just about putting up a beefy perimeter that stops the crooks getting in and stealing what you already have inside. If the crooks can simply make your website appear somewhere else that they control, they're able to present the world with a completely false reality about your web property. And that could fish usernames and passwords from legitimate customers, put up messages that are embarrassing to your company, or as you say, not just take over a web server, but take over a mail server and actually learn an awful lot, probably in very quick order, about what your company's up to, which is absolute gold for the next wave of an attack. If you've got lots and lots of information about projects that are going on in a company, social engineering for the next several months becomes almost trivial, you could argue. Absolutely. And unfortunately, we do still communicate so many things that we don't recognize as sensitive through unencrypted email that uh, access to an email stream is a, is a critical breach of most organizations' security. Wrapping up, you wrote a very interesting story on, um, I guess, I think you called it 
color-coded JavaScript. I was reading it over the weekend and was, I guess I was, I was surprised and I wasn't surprised. I was looking at it going, to me, it proved, you know, an old adage of, of uh, things aren't always what they seem to be. But it, it was kind of a novel way of trying to sneak some tricky JavaScript into your browser, right? This is a technique that's been used, apparently, in the JavaScript demo scene, you know, the graphics demo scene, for quite some time. Because it's a way of saving space and packaging data compactly. What the crooks wanted is they just wanted their data to be non-obvious. Along the way, you'll be fetching JavaScript or HTML that includes the URLs that the attacker wants to go to next. Traditionally, the way you obfuscate those URLs is you represent them as a text string in JavaScript and you perform some transformation on that string. So you encrypt it or encode it or put it in hexadecimal or ROT13 it so that what gets seen, for example, by a gateway filter or as the traffic passes through the network looks mostly harmless. So these crooks went around that entirely. What they did is they encoded the ASCII of the URL of the JavaScript they wanted uh, as a series of grayscales in an image. And the interesting part of the trick is, of course, that firstly, it's unexceptionable for JavaScript to fetch PNG files or graphics files. So it's not something that would really raise any alarm bells immediately. And secondly, inside a PNG file, the image data is actually compressed. So any patterns that might be in there are naturally disguised. And the crooks don't have to write any code to do that because the unraveling and the unpackaging and the decompressing and the rendering of that image is all taken care of by the HTML5 magic inside your browser, uh, which is a long way indeed of reinforcing what you said. Things are very definitely not always what they seem on the web. Well, on that note, I'm going to conclude Software Security Chat Chat 134. Uh, I would like to invite all of our listeners, if they're attending the RSA conference in California this year at the end of February, to please join us. This year we are in booth 2701, and uh, we'd love to, uh, to chat with any of you that have time to stop by. Other than that, as usual, for the latest security news, please visit nakedsecurity.selfless.com. Uh, for all of our podcasts and RSS feeds and, and links to all of the fantastic audio production work that we do at Sophos, you can get that at soundcloud.com slash And until next time, stay secure. <laughs>